Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 457 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Michael Shade of Rockfish Games and ask them about the design and development of their space exploration RPG, Everspace 2. I tried to summarise Everspace 2 as an RPG. It is ultimately, we do delve into that in this very episode. Now, I backed Everspace 2 on Kickstarter, so... Full transparency, I had some vested interest in its success, but I was really happy to have Michael on the show to talk about its creation. I remember playing the demo at various events that I like to go to, and I was really impressed with how it slowly evolved into what it is now. It's available at the time of recording this or editing or releasing this podcast on most things. I believe it is on Xbox Game Pass at present when the, the show is released. And so, yeah, it's a little barrier to entry apart from just dive in, fly out in space and enjoy the the vastness that is. Although it's filled with lots of things that try to kill you. And indeed, little puzzles. Yes, there are puzzles in space, apparently. Do you want to hear more about Everspace 2 and how it's made? I'm sure you do. That's why you're here. So let's, let's listen to me from the relatively recent past. Talk to Michael about the creation of Everspace 2. Chris! Take it away. Hello, Michael. Hello, Chris. Can you tell us who you are, what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Michael Schade, CEO of Rockfish Games. We are a fairly small studio based in Germany. We have about 20 people on the development team. And um, I'm in the industry, the gaming industry, for 20 years. My first 10 years prior to that was in computer graphics um, design. Right. Okay. And it kind of bled into my second question, which is quite common, but uh, could you delve a little bit more on how did you make your start making video games? Yeah, I bit have an <clears throat> unusual path, so to speak. I wanted to become a machine engineer. I wanted to construct racing engines for BMW, 
And this is why I went to a technical university where I studied machine engineering. And um, in the early 90s, I was working with computer-aided design on these ridiculously expensive silicon graphics machines. And I was fascinated by the 3D stuff that you could see on the screen. Not a great quality, but you could really, in real time, um, see things happening on your screen. And only a few years later, you could do this on a PC. And I was fascinated how quickly this uh, developed, um, how to say, make the jump from like these very expensive workstations to your ordinary PC computer. And um, with my fellow, fellow colleague at the university, Christian, I started a company for computer um, aided design, uh, 3D visualization, uh, because we were using our PC computers to do this as a service. And we, we've done this, or we did this for 10 years, and in the end, we were using game engines um, to do our architectural 3D designs in a computer, so you could walk through the buildings and see all the stuff. And that got us into gaming when I was introduced to Sony Ericsson in 2003. And they were uh, looking for somebody who could make uh, small 3D games for their feature phones. And this was, we were there, right time, right place. So we had the knowledge how to do 3D stuff. They loved it. And uh, we made the world's second 3D mobile game. The first one was Witch Ranger by Namco. And the second one, the one that we did, was a brand game for BMW Mini. And it was preloaded on the Sony Ericsson devices. And um, they liked it so much that they said, well, we want to have more like so demo levels of games. And um, I went to this the marketing department. Long story short, I sold them a first-person shooter, a flying game, two racing games, and a penalty shootout, and a fifth title, I forgot, um, within this one meeting without having any concepts, just pulling things out of thin air. <laughs> and I came back to my partner and said, how was it? And I was like, you don't believe what's just happening so we're not going to do architectural visualization and all this stuff anymore. We start a new studio. We're going to do 3D mobile gaming because what uh, I have seen on that screen reminded me of what happened back in university when I saw these fairly low-quality 3D graphics, but now it was on a mobile screen. And we were kind of predicting um, the iPhone. We just thought it's coming from Sony Ericsson or Nokia. And this is why we started our first mobile gaming studio. Wow. So you started off, and it's quite common, the 3D engines, like we realized, well, we could use the industry standard ones that cost tens of thousands of dollars, or just the game engines that are basically almost free. Let's do that. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, because exactly. there were industry ones that did the same job, but because they were so <laughs> niche and they were serving such a small audience, they would charge tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands for the fee or license fee. Yeah, and yeah. Like, which is, which is it, that was the case. That yeah. was the case back in the day. So you had to pay uh, tens of thousands on PC. Mm. Um, but the, then we developed our own engine for mobile because we were basically, there was just a handful of studios worldwide using a special 3D API from Japan that was preloaded on the Sony Ericsson devices. And if you did that, your games would look much better on Sony Ericsson than on Nokia devices. And we were one of the few doing that, and that was our competitive advantage. And then we created a game engine so that we don't have to make the game twice. Um, it's like a platform agnostic approach to write code. And then we could more or less push a button and say, hey, deploy on for Sony Ericsson. And then using JSR184, that's the open standard for 3D graphics on a Java phone back in the day, 
And um, yeah, so we did that. And that brought us to a point in 2008, we were the studio worldwide with the highest graded games. So we were the best studio in the world, uh, still doing Java games. And then Apple reached out and said, hey, we heard about your games. We're coming with this iPhone. And in 2008, there's uh, going to be the App Store. We want to have your games. <laughs> my response was, sorry, guys, we don't have time for that. <laughs> we oh. have to deliver our games oh. to Vodafone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, you didn't so, know. Um, you didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apple told me we, we were the only studio putting them down. And um, But then really at the end of 2008, we, we migrated our engine from Java to C++. And uh, one of the titles that we launched in 2008, um, we ported it over to, I, uh, to iOS. And even without the game being featured, we made more money within 30 days or within one month than the same game made through the entire year selling through 200 uh, mobile world, uh, mobile operators worldwide. We were like, wow. holy crap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and then the next year, we just dumped, um, yeah, basically, we dumped all the mobile operators. And we um, ported our entire portfolio to iOS. And Galaxy Fire, which is like the closest thing you can have on a, as freelancer on mobile devices, that was our big hit uh, back in the day, constantly promoted on the App Store. And at some point, we made the base game from premium to just free, and then you just can buy expansions. And we were number one globally for, I think, a week. And um, or just day, day one, we had like one million downloads, which was remarkable because the game was like 800 megabytes in size. And uh, because of that game, in 2013, a AAA publisher reached out to us and wanted to have that game on the back then new um, concept generation. And, um, and that enabled us to make the jump from mobile gaming to PC and console gaming. Yes, what a wonderful story. And yeah, Galaxy of a remarkable game. Up there with threes, got to be said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that we weren't. I have to say, we weren't involved with Galaxy Fire Three anymore, right? Because uh, yeah, the the spicy part of that story is uh, in 2013, my previous studio, we couldn't make the transition from premium to free to play. We went bankrupt, and in the end, we were kicked out of our own studio and had to start all over. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, we hadn't to deal with uh, with Galaxy Fire Three, but then again, for every door that closes, another one opens. Yeah, and. It, that was really the chance for us to start all over. And um, we brought our, everybody who worked on Galaxy Fire 2, um, we, yeah, we made them jump ship and they're still with us. So now everybody who's involved or was involved in Galaxy Fire 2 is now working on Everspace 2. So <laughs> if you see some similarities, here's why. That's why. No, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. And heady times, uh, the early, mm -hmm. the, the late noughties, as they call them. Heady times of video game creation. So, speaking of video game creation, I'm going to ask you this, this next question. It's a bit nebulous and open-ended, but what do you believe are your biggest influences as creators? Well, in, for us, making this, this space shooters is obviously across the team, there's a mixture of people have played, I myself have played Wing Commander, Elite on the C64 back in the day, freelancer obviously then if you do a space game well i mean <laughs> you obviously get inspired by star wars star trek uh Battlestar galactica was one of my favorites and um and then you try to make a blend that stands out but um, there's there's no denying that you get inspired by these classics and um 
And luckily for us, space games has been uh, a genre that has was neglected for quite a while because space shooters were the first where you can fly around and, and shoot stuff in 3D. Um, because it was technically, you, you just have a spaceship, you have your background, your backdrop, and that's it. And then it took over from, uh, uh, was how to say, first-person shooters took over, like Quake, as we, as we talked before the interview. And then the space genre kind of died away, and then there was a resurgence uh, with the Kickstarter of Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, then our own, like Everspace 1 and Everspace 2. We had two successful Kickstarters. So, yeah, so this this is how you get inspired by others. And um, of course you look at other games, what works, what doesn't, and try to combine it. And um, the team, when we started doing Everspace 2, the internal pitch was Diablo meets Freelancer. So, and we're like, well, that's a country line. That's quite ambitious, <laughs> um, but nobody has done that before. So let's do this. And this is how Everspace came to be. Nice. So really it's drawing from the past and the present and what have you, and also other mediums, films, literature. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, I'm, I'm with you there. Especially the, 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 the series in the, it's now 20 years old now, the, the latter series they did. Um, that was really fun. I think, I mean, they, did, they tried to answer some very difficult questions and come up with some answers, and it was good. Uh, I think the, the space combat there with the flowing of the bullets and everything in silence, and it's yeah, very evocative, very good. Yeah, absolutely. There wouldn't be an expense, I, I say, without Battlestar yeah. Galactica. The expense is just the next level on trying to have this like real space physics yeah. of the show as well. So, yeah, and then it's like if there's a genre that you're fascinated, is it's it? just uh, it's fun to play around what you can do. So I think this is, and, and this was now, I, I answered this from personal, um, how to say, uh, point of view, but also studio. But I think you really can um, carry this over to, if you're inspired by weapon movies, like, or horror or whatever, then this is something that is, near, uh, how to say, close to you or dear to you. And uh, you will come up with something great if, uh, if you let your creativity walk around and uh, find new approaches. But I think you really have to have something that you are excited about uh, mm -hmm. because this is really what gets you up in the morning and come up with crazy ideas and talk to your team and how can we do this? And then why should we have clones in the game? Uh, in this case, why this is a good fit? Um, how can we incorporate Blade Runner quotes and, and, and whatnot? So, yeah, that helps a lot. It does. So, next question. Another toughie, but I'm sure you can, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine, Michael. You'll be fine. But here we go. What video game developer do you admire most and why? I think it's very expressive what uh, Sven from Larian, the CEO, did. Um, so, there's a very good documentary on YouTube. All his struggle, all German publishers, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, three times in a row, he, he partnered with a German or German speaking publisher and didn't get his money. So, uh, apologize for that. Um, so he was really in a rough spot in a, in a couple of times, but he was uh, super passionate. He he knew if he has enough time or his team uh, to make the best RPG in the world, and he just needs to have enough time. And then with uh, Divinity, uh, he did it, right? And uh, now people say... Uh, Divinity 2 is actually better than Diablo 4. I just yesterday just saw, saw a video on YouTube and said, well, this is this really perfectly made. And I love it. And this is really against all odds. And it really reminds me 
about all, our story. I mean, again, got kicked out of our studio. That's not a nice uh, place to be, but uh, it really enabled us uh, to go harder and, um, yeah, go for that, what we really like to do and helped us to stand out. And uh, I say Sven is always a bit ahead of us. So I look what Sven is doing, where his studio is, who is he partnering with. So, um, yeah, I think in industry-wise, he's, he's my hero. Fantastic answer. And, of course, <laughs> Baldur's Gate two, uh, 3, sorry, is, is heading our way. Uh, so we shall see how that all pans out. But it's looking very good on that front. Yeah, maybe at some time we have to make a space game on a very, very big IP. So I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? knows? I'm, I'm not going there. So <laughs> the, journal, the journalist in me is, is really struggling, but I will not go there. So um, <laughs> next last question of the first half. Here we are. We've, we've, we've made it. Here it is. Um, what are you playing right now? I used to play Destiny 2 quite a lot. I really enjoyed it. I, I love shooters. And of course, being that a looter shooter and Everspace 2 is that Diablo in space. It, it did make sense. So I think I sunk in 2,000 hours. But then they, the Lightfall expansion, it just doesn't click with me. <laughs> yeah, I had to step step away, maybe give myself a break from Destiny. But a lot of people do that and say, well, maybe next year I come back. Um, but other than that, I um, Little Nightmares, I liked a lot, Little Nightmares 1 and 2. So that's probably the exact opposite of the genre. It's very slow-paced, puzzly, a bit horror, and I, I think it's fantastic, the atmosphere that they created. I love that a lot. Um, played Limbo inside, so that's kind of the side-scrollers. I really dig those. Probably also a fairly old gamer myself. Um, that is nice. Um, I know that I played Diablo 1 back in the day and also got butchered by the butcher. So I, I can still remember that. I said, holy crap, that, that, was, uh, that, was, that was tough. Um, but now Diablo 4, I think it's too much. I'm, maybe, I'm a little bit too afraid that I, you have to spend your life in there. So that's a bit too much for me. But other than that, I played most of the Halo games, Gears of War, um, Uncharted series I liked a lot. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn, the first one. I haven't played the second one. That's still on my list. God of War. God of War, the second one, the, the Ragnarok. Uh, I haven't played it yet, but that's that's on my list. So, yeah, I think it's um, yeah, I mean, uh, quite, a, quite a broad, um, how to say, genres I like. So, let's, uh, let's take a small break and move on to the uh, second okay. half of the show, where we can now delve deep into Everspace 2.
All right. So, tell us, in your own words, Michael, what do you believe is Everspace 2? Well, we started saying Everspace 2 is a looter shooter in space, um, but we got it backwards because <laughs> I can see you shaking your head. No, Everspace 2 is an action RPG in space, and it has have looter shooter elements because really the emphasis is on flying around, exploration, and space combat. And this is really the strongest pillar in our game. And um, so if you want to describe it, you always start with the 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 broad foundation and then the hook is at the end. And the hook is really the Diablo-style loot, um, the looter shooter um, spiral, so to speak. But uh, basically, it's the, what really draws you into the game is uh, the beautiful space vistas. It's very arcadey. We wanted to make sure that you have fun right away, so you don't need to be a NASA pilot and have a joystick set up and with like lots of knobs and, and wheels and whatnot. Um, so it's optimized for mouse and keyboard. And of course, you can play it with gamepad. It's coming out to console now, but it's it's really it's a shooter. But uh, the space exploration and the space combat is at the very heart of it. So my first design question for for you is: you sort of alluded to it at the very beginning there by saying you had to flip the script by saying what it what Ever Space Two is. You're right, it's an action-adventure with uh, RPG elements or an RPG action-adventure. Call it what you will, but there is role-playing game elements. Whereas the ship, everyone, is the character. The one, the stats you manipulate, the thing you, you change. Not the the pilot who's a, a person, who's you know, Adam, who's dealing with all sorts of incredible universe-shaking issues all surrounding his mere existence. I'm not going to... Not going to spoil the content there, but I just want to ask how you align all of this, the trappings of role playing games and, and, and that all that brings with it, not as negative, and align it with what is ultimately a very, shall we say, elegantly designed space combat system. So you've got space combat on the one hand where you have to tactically place your ship around and make sure you don't get overwhelmed by other enemies and that kind of thing. Well, at the same time, you're building up this character, which is, and also the crew around it and what have you, and it's your, your support around this ship. They're kind of the odds at each other, aren't they? They are, and they are also in conflict to each other. And I think the reason why it works is because um, the team owns the vision for Everspace too. So it's not that I say to them, okay, this is the kind of game we have to make and this is how you do this and I want this and I want that. So not at all. It's really, um, actually our lead artist uh, is also our combat designer just because he's very good at this. And he does come up with all the stats and the weapons and uh, then he also designs the special effects for it. And this is really, he owns this. And not even our creative director tells him, oh, you have to have a ray gun, you have to have a thermo gun or whatever. No, it's really Marco, our artist, comes up uh, with this, whereas our creative director designs the world. He's, he's a full-blown architect, by the way, and makes sure that everything is consistent and it doesn't make sense. It's plausible. It's not physically accurate um, because we want to have an arcadey approach to space combat. And the world itself, but he makes sure it's like it has this Star Warsy feeling, if you want to call it like that. And then we have um, our game designers, who are also programmers, 
Um, so whatever they come up with, like the, the mechanics, the systems, the flight model and whatnot, they just implement it right away. So it's not like we have people who think about some things that, oh, I have a great idea. And then they go to the coder and say, can you, can you put this into the game? No, they, they create it, they talk um, among each other, and then they implement it right away. And then they iterate a lot. So this is why I think um, this is why you see in the game, we have great we have great visuals because this is owned basically by one person. We have great combat is owned by one person. We have the game the, the game mechanics, the systems are owned by one person, and then the the entire world and the stories by owned by another one. And I mean, no surprise, there are or there have been lots of fights how we should do things um, because also the taste of these uh, people, what the kind of games they they uh, prefer to play by themselves is quite different. Um, so there's a lot of arguing, but then we find a common ground. And I think this is this makes the special recipe of Everspace 2. It has it has this blend, right? And it works really well together because it's owned by separate people. And it's not this one mastermind that says how everything goes. And it, it's more like if I think I have a great idea, it usually gets shot down by the team. And I have to, if I want to have something in the game, I usually have to see in a, a check if in the community there are enough people also wanting the same thing that I want, and then I can go back to the team and say, "Hey, see, it's not just me. Uh, we should change this. The community wants this well, and then they sometimes listen to me." Well, it clearly works. Um, otherwise, you and I would be talking right now, because um, <laughs> uh, otherwise, it would tear itself to pieces, and nothing ever gets made. You're right. Compromise is reached, and something wonderful is created out of that. So. Next question, I want to talk about the spatial puzzles and environments that you find yourself in Ever Space 2, because while it is Ever Space 2, there are times when you find yourself enclosed in very small spaces or maybe like a large asteroid or something like that. So one minute I'm flying around in space, next minute I'm playing Descent. It's fine. I, I think it's great. But it does surprise me to encounter these spatial puzzles that required some lateral thinking to solve. How did these come about? Yeah, the puzzles. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Not everybody is a fan of all the puzzles we have in the game, the little riddles and whatnot. That is true. Well, the thing is, we, we always wanted to mix up the gameplay, right? Um, we thought if, if it's space combat most of the time and some exploration, we're like, oh, that can still get boring if you make an open world game. So we wanted to have uh, other mechanics, other challenges in the game as well. And also because we did this uh, in early access over a little bit um, uh, longer than two years, we had to make sure that there's enough to do in the early star systems that were published. Um, and this is why the maybe we, we we went a little bit too crazy with all these uh, puzzle mechanics there. I mean, they're optional. You don't have to do them. But if you're a completionist and obviously like, oh, okay, I have to do these 10 or 20 puzzles now in that system, and then some people get bored. I get that. Oh, that is something that we probably would change for a, a future title. Go a bit easier on the puzzles, make them maybe more meaningful and have even greater variety. Um, but overall, we really like this um, to have these environment puzzles because they add to the exploration. Because it really is the case that in every nook and cranny, there is something and there are visual cues like there's smoke or there's a light source. And yeah, probably the designers put something in there. And then 
you go there and ta-da, oh, there's a secured container and how can I open it? Oh, I have to find a mechanic. And again, you don't have to do it, but if you do it, then there's, there's a nice reward. There are hand-placed um, items in those secured containers. And even if you don't know them for, need them for your loadout, you can still dismantle them and then create something else that is much needed or sell them for a good price at one of the space stations scattered around um, the galaxy. So um, it is just, it's, it's more than just busy work um, if you really look at this because there is value to it. But it, again, it's not mandatory. And um, we we had fun about thinking, uh, coming up with new puzzles and they do make sense to put them in these hollow asteroids inside space stations and whatnot. And that is something that I pushed hard for when we talked about uh, the Vision for Aerospace 2 at the very beginning. I said, well, there are great open space games out there already, but there aren't that many games that have this descent vibe so as you said this is like in one second you're in this open space situation you can lose yourself in the the vastness of space but then you just fly into a hollow asteroid and there's a tunnel cave system you're like this is crazy and uh, then it gets adventurous and really start discovering things and we like these to have these almost polar opposites and then it creates tension and that makes the game uh, exciting no, I think it's a wonderful addition because you're right. It could have been just uh, otherwise just a treadmill of, you know, uh, do a mission, you know, taking out, you know, do an escort mission or whatever, you're out in space and add rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And it becomes, you know, tedious. And you don't, you know, whereas this it makes you more attached to the world you're in. And that's what I found. It's like there's, there's actually functioning things. I think one of the most favorite puzzles i encountered was I was flying around this sort of long sort of like space station and there's like there was a i saw there's a um like a doorway that i couldn't get through there's a force field right there i couldn't figure out how to get rid of the force field and and i saw these everything else pristine right everything is beautifully built apart from this one bit whereas this is trailing cables all over the place it's cables like that looks odd and then I just followed the cables and went, oh, there it is. And there was this sort of battery pack that exactly. I didn't – yeah. yeah. It's it just wonderful, really, really clever. Like, look at the cables. Look. Just pay attention. Pay attention. There is a solution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There is, there's, there's a solution. If you if you find it out by yourself, you feel incredibly smart. <laughs> and if you have to look on YouTube for a solution, ah, dang, that was so easy. It's yeah, so easy, I of course. Thought. Look at the cables. Yeah, look, right. look, they're there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I want to go back now to the combat because we can't ignore it. It's there. It's a core component of Everspace 2. And one of the things that space games have been perennially sort of like lumbered with is the problem of what I call the donut, where you're constantly circling around each other <laughs> trying to get a lock on the target. What have you done? And I know you've done something. What have you done to prevent that from becoming this major issue where you're trying to lock onto a target, but all you're doing is chasing a triangle around the corner of the screen? Yeah, uh, actually, it's a pretty easy answer. It's because we don't have a flight model uh, like most space games have, as if you're in atmosphere. I mean, we all been taught in Star Wars, spaceships in space behave like a plane. They don't. Um of course, we are not accurate either, but it's more like we have this descent-like uh, control. So we really 
we have a six degrees of freedom shooter. So you stop right away and you can turn your ship on the dime. Plus, you're actually not turning the ship. You turn the weapons and then the ship follows your weapon. This is the trick. And this is why it's, it's a very twitchy feeling. But this is why Everspace feels so precise. And this is why you don't have these endless dock fight loops. Because, yeah, you shoot where, you, where your mouse uh, cursor, the reticle, is. And again, we, we don't have this, um, how do you call this, this atmospheric flight model. It is a space flight model. Yeah. Plus, we do have inertia dampeners. So if you, if you stop pushing W for forward, the spaceship stops. Like, and then we have little thrusters that mm. light up. So there, there's an explanation why that is. You can disable that, so then you can fly, cut the engines, and turn like in Battlestar Galactica, do your cool maneuvers and whatnot. But actually, this makes the game a little bit harder. In certain areas, you even start cheating. Um, but we have these inertia dampeners because it makes it so much easier to get around, to fly around, get your bearings, and uh, to position yourself right in combat. And this is why the um, the combat in Everspace 2 is so intuitive. It feels... Yeah, it feels more like a first-person shooter or third-person shooter, depending on your viewport, uh, but in space. And that is vastly different from the majority of space sims. I mean, they're called sims for a reason, where you have to have your hotas has something, uh, was a hand on stick. Um, what is it? Faster and stick. That's it. Yeah. Hotas, yeah. <laughs> or hosas, then it's like the two, or hosam, then it's with a mouse and a stick. Um, I get it. If you are a hardcore space sim fan, you want that. And we support it. Uh, but the, the game becomes way harder because it's, I mean, you wouldn't play a first-person shooter with a joystick, will you? Um, there's a reason why mouse and keyboard is the most accurate input method. In Everspace 2, the, the combat has been designed with mouse keyboard in mind. That was the top priority. And this is why it feels so, so snappy and, um, yeah, so precise. Yeah, just the the uh, point. And is there anything underneath your reticule? If the answer to that question is yes, shoot. That's it. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, of course, there's lead time. Depending on your weapon, there's still... So we do have hit scan weapons that yeah. shoot immediately where you target. Then there are projectiles like the auto cannon. Then the projectiles are still flying. And there's even a little a second reticle that shows you how to lead um, your weapon. And if you're not very good at that, then I just recommend the Thermogun, which has like homing projectiles <laughs> on gamepad. Very useful. I also play on gamepad, so I, I typically go with the Thermogun and the Flag Cannon because it has a lot of splash damage. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, last question. We can't, I can't leave you without asking this question. And it is about the cutscenes. In Never Space Two, because everyone, listeners, there are there's an adventure that you're going through, a very detailed and well written adventure of all sorts of characters, you know, entering and exiting, and it's quite dramatic to say the least. Some things happen, and you presented it in this comic book style. There's no real animation, not in the traditional sense. I think it's fantastic, but I just want to ask, why? Why is it presented in this way? Yeah, why why did why don't we have full body character animation with uh, motion capture and whatnot? Yeah, the, the simple answer to that, just the mocap for one scene. We asked that at a professional studio would have cost one million just for one scene. And I don't know, 
that would have been like a minute or so. And we have the four hours of dialogue in the game, and there are two hours of cinematics. And that would have blown our budget completely. So that's really, that's triple A territory for one. But it's also, we wanted to separate the action from the plot that is happening. And we use this as a, what is it? A style, not a style guide. Like a, it's, it's a creative approach. So this is really, you see these hand-drawn cinematics and you, you, you immediately understand, okay, this is now the story part. It's not like preventing, oh, this is what you do now. No, this is what these are the things that are happening and you don't have an influence. And if this is gone, if it's in-game, then you are in charge, you do that. Um, we do have in-game cutscenes as well, as you know. So there are a few. Um, and we always we use that when the what's happening is something that correlates directly to what you have just done and then afterwards takes requires immediate action however if you want to um, drive forward um, the plot the story this is when we have the hand-drawn animation then it's story time and everybody knows it's story time and while a few people are complaining on the quality say well i would have loved to have this in full 3d and blah blah a lot of people understand oh this is where they save the budget and put it where it's more meaningful and like creating a bigger world, more nine ship classes, more weapons and whatnot. So uh, the money is, we think, much better spent on actual game content if you're not a, uh, not making a AAA production. But the benefit is you get this wonderful sort of storyboard sort of like presentation alongside the uh, in-game action when, like you say, certain events. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a lovely... Well, it's, I do actually enjoy watching them when I put a controller down and just listen to the interaction between various characters, and it's just really well done. So I just wanted to talk about it because as much as 95% of the experience of Earth Space 2 is you and the ship and you interacting with the world you find yourself in, having these interludes is quite uh, – does a lot for the stress relief. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is really. It's. Um, there's a good point that you that you're bringing up there. It's like you, you take your breather. You know, it's relaxed time. And yeah. uh, kudos to to Moritz, who's our concept artist. He did this all by himself. So this wow. is one man uh, doing all this. The animation itself was done by Pubworks in in Eastern Europe. So they're a great uh, outsourcing partner. But the the images, the images that you see themselves, the PSDs, the hand drawing. It's all done by one guy, Moritz. Fantastic. Mm. And for five years, it's like, I mean, five years development time. And he's just now working on new content, the expansion. And he loves that stuff. And uh, the only thing that he said recently is that I, I would love to have maybe more action scenes. So typically it's like there's a scene, people talk to each other, and there's a lot of, um, uh, what is it, uh, not proposition, what's the right name? If you carry forward uh, the story. Anyway, um, so it's really, it's more dialogue. And then we have one or two scenes where actually the characters are fighting and he enjoyed that a lot. So, yeah, let's see how it goes for the expansion that we're working on right now. Maybe there's still more action scenes in the cinematics. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see some remarkable, yet more uh, remarkable output from yourselves on that. And it's wonderful that you're actually making an expansion uh, not aware of that until now. So Everspace 2 has been developed by Rockfish Games. I have to ask, where does the name Rockfish come from? 
<laughs> That's a good one. So our previous studio called Fish Labs, uh, the mobile game studio. And we're based in Hamburg, close to the sea. And in Germany, you call everybody living in Hamburg fish heads. So this is where the fish comes from. And since this was our first attempt uh, entering the uh, gaming uh, genre or industry, and we had no clue what we're doing, so we thought it's cool to have a lab, like a laboratory, right? This is where Fish Labs comes from. And then, as I told you, we, we had to file for, for bankruptcy and we got kicked out of our own studio. But I was like, no, this is not the end. We're going to survive this. We're unbreakable. We're f stars. And uh, excuse my word. And uh, yeah, and this is how Rockfish came, came together, right? It's just like, no, we're f stars, right? And this is not the end. We keep the fish, but now we know what we do. This is why the fish is more aggressive now. It's red. This is uh, what we call ourselves, rockfish. Oh, fantastic response. Um, we have a, I love asking that question because you'd be surprised how kind of responses I'll get from the name of various studios from various guests. So what platforms is Everspace 2 available on, please, Michael? It's, it's available on PC right now. It's on Steam. It's on GOG. And it's coming to Xbox Series X and S and PlayStation 5 on August 15. And we even have a retail version because of supply chain issues. It's going to hit the stores uh, October 3rd. Right. Excellent. Oh, it's wonderful to see a hard copy version. So they say it's uh, people do like having stuff on the shelves still rather than having thousands and thousands of icons on their, on their desktop. But I have no idea which game to play. Whereas they've got a nice shelf, they can, it's a little bit easier. But uh, no, excellent stuff. Well, Michael, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Genuinely has. Um, and uh, you've been very open and honest talking about the creation of Everspace 2. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back to tell about what next is cooking in, in Rockfish's hood so to speak, because um, we'll be here, whatever it is. But uh, until then, thank you very much. Chris, thanks so much indeed. It was a, was a great pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, maybe we talk next year about the expansion. There's new awesome stuff coming. Awesome. We'll do that. All right. Thanks again. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, kaneandrinse.com.